What's up? Welcome back to Nostalgia. Dave here with a new pod. What's going on in pop culture right now? Catching up. I was away last two weeks. I ran the Studio Ghibli rankings. Check that out if you missed it. Put a lot of time into that one. But now I'm back talking about what's been coming out. Got a ton of music to get to here. Olivia Rodrigo, James Blake, Burna Boy, Tanache, V from BTS. Heavy hitters. All of them. Excited to get into that. Also going to talk about this new film, No More Bets, Chinese blockbuster film, $500 million at the box office already. So a lot of significant things there. And yeah, I'm, try- I'm trying to catch up on some more stuff in the weeks to come. I missed out on the One Piece drop from Netflix. We'll be doing the Shadows Wrapped Up, etc. So we'll see about that. But yeah, make sure you subscribe. YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. Linktree.com slash NostalgiaPod. Check the links below. Get the pod anyway you can. Just get it. See the best of 2023 Spotify playlist for my favorite songs of the year. Updated weekly. And yeah, let's get into it. What's up? Welcome back to Nostalgia. Dave here with a review of Burna Boy's fifth album, I Told Them. First album since Love Domini last year. Of course, uh, Twice as Tall came out in 2020. And I think these now three albums are the first set of albums since Burna Boy really blew up and became a really mainstream international star off the strength of his African Giant album. Nowadays, Burna Boy is the face of Afrobeats music, the face of Nigerian music, and he is at the forefront of this music becoming more global and more accepted and, and more popular elsewhere in the world, especially in the Western world. And I've certainly been a fan of Burna Boy to this point. You know, I thought Twice as Tall from 2020 was absolutely spectacular. And last year, I didn't like Love Domini quite as much as a record. But Last Last, the single uh, off that album, was actually my song of the year in 2022. I thought that was just a jubilant, triumphant song. Amazing Tony Braxton sample. Big fan of it. So needless to say, new Burna Boy album, I told them, gets me excited. And... You know, it's coming at an interesting time for Burna Boy because he is, I think, getting increasingly polarizing in the things he says. Um, He has had some controversial takes, uh, partially about Afrobeats as a genre, kind of denigrating the quality of the music from his peers and saying, I believe his quote was about most Afrobeats music lacks substance. I believe he said that the Zane Lowe, definitely a... um, charge statement to say about your peers he also has uh i think kind of waded into some more societal uh issues comments you know he's a big proponent of pan-africanism and a united africa and things like that but some of the other things he says in support of you know a noble ideal as such doesn't seem to quite add up so he's definitely ticked some people off uh recently and he's had some i think some troubles um, you know, like this minor legal issues and scuffles happened as well. So anyway, Bruno Boy, some things have been going on. Yet I told them, you know, it's funny. Like this album, I think the general sentiment about it lyrically is a is, is a Bruno Boy victory lap. You know, he's made it. He's he he's the guy. You know, and he's someone who, in fact, often pushes back on like the Afro beats name nomenclature for Nigerian music, and he likes to you know, put himself forward as the face of Afrofusion, this subgenre of Afrobeats, or really this umbrella of Afrobeats that also involves other genres like R&B and dancehall and hip-hop. And I think that's all fine and good. What's interesting to me, though, is I told them, you know, I think I like this album as a listen more than Love Domini, not nearly as strong as Twice as Tall, though. Um, you know, lyrically, he doesn't get into some of the, I think, strong opinions he has about the world. Like, he doesn't talk about his Pan-African beliefs. It's not really on this. This is an album about flexing, you know, for the most part. I, I told them. I told you so. You know? That's fine. I think some of the best the best songs on this album are really awesome. It's just kind of a weird, well, thing, weird juxtaposition. Do you have, like, a very opinionated guy who doesn't seem to have much interest in putting those opinions in his music? And not necessarily that that's a bad thing, but to me, it's a missed opportunity, you know, because 
he, maybe he does have more to say and it could come out in his music. But to this point, we're not really getting that. Um, so that that kind of stood out to me given the situation Burn Boy finds himself in. You know, um, that situation also involves him playing stadiums worldwide. Again, the guy is killing it. You know, starting right off with the first track, I told them featuring Jizza, and then later on at the end, you have 12 Jewels featuring Rizza. As much as I love to hear from the Shaolin, you know, shout out Wu-Tang Clan, felt very tacked on, you know, these kind of like spoken word, like outros to the song and, uh, you know, me- me- messaging from the Wu. Like, I don't know, it-, it felt very much like added on, didn't really feel like part of the song or part of the rest of the album so those didn't really work too much for me but i gotta say track four sitting on top of the world featuring 21 savage an absolutely epic brandy sample so so catchy um man that's that that that, that song is awesome and it gets that beat you know the background vocals uh you know from the sample just so so catchy like I think, you know, background vocals is like the trick these days to get my attention. I don't care. I think that song is absolute blast. I don't even need the 21 feature. I think Burna Boy and the sample are doing all the work you need to do. The 21 still uh, pretty solid uh, on the feature, as he always is. Um, so I really like that one. Also, we have another big feature on here. You have Cheat On Me featuring Dave. Of course, Dave and Burna Boy linked up on Dave's uh, album two albums ago with the song location absolutely monster hit especially in the uk now dave returning the favor featured on a burn boy album i think cheat on me also really good another like really catchy uh beat you know with these like layered like sung vocals not from burna like it just sounds so good of course dave you know how he raps but even like kind of the substance of this one too like about cheat on me you know i thought that one really hit um City Boys, which I believe was one of the early singles that's been blowing up on TikTok and whatnot lately. Another one, like, you know, lyrically, the City Boys stuff is a bit toxic, obviously, but the song sounds really good because it's sampling Jeremiah's birthday sex. You really speed up that sample with the keys, the iconic keys from birthday sex. Sounds really good. Uh, And Berna kind of crushes it. Those three songs I thought were awesome. I also really liked uh, Tested, Approved, and Trusted. I thought the singing from Burna Boy was really good on that. The Big Seven was quite good as well. Um, the only song I really disliked, I have to say, would be Thanks, featuring J. Cole, the second to last track. Just because the J. Cole verse is so, so grating, so annoying. That is the worst of Preachy Cole, the worst of... I'm smarter and better than you. I'm J. Cole Cole. You know, talking about how, because of his accomplishments and the things he's done for others, he thus can't be criticized. You know, it's like, dude, please. Like, also, I don't know why, like, like J. Cole's not the kind of guy that, like, fit the mold the way someone like him and Dave uh, link up, Burna Boy and Dave, you know? Like, just kind of felt a bit incongruous as a collab anyway, and the verse stinks. So, don't like thanks. No thanks, would say. But, uh, yeah, City Boys, Cheat On Me, Sit On Top Of The World, uh, tested, and tested, Approved, And Trusted, Big Seven. Some joints on this one. Again, it's not as succinct a record, not as, I think, bombastic and, like, like grabbing you the way Twice As Tall was or African Giant before it. But, I think for what it is, as the as the Victory Lap uh, Burna album, as the fifth Burna album, it's pretty good. So, shout out Burna Boy. I told them he did, in fact, do that. Let me know, how'd you feel about this Burna Boy record? I'm coming to it a little bit late, but I really wanted to make sure I got got to this one just because he's a significant artist. You gotta pay attention to him. And I hope he continues to do what he's doing, which is bring, you know, his music, his his culture to the world and be a big part of the globalism of music. We really like to see it. But let me know how you feel about this album. And for more music reviews, subscribe. And I'll see you next time. What's up? Welcome back to Nostalgia. Dave here with a review of James Blake's sixth album, Playing Robots Into Heaven. Of course, everyone knows James Blake at this point because he's become 
and quite the pop force, you know, quite the super producer, quite the significant artist for his work with others. And despite not being as quite as popular as a soloist, the way the people he works with often are, James Blake, of course, gets a lot of attention as a musician because he's just a very unique individual who's been consistently engaging for the last you know 10 years you know making kind of avant-garde pop music and really kind of bending his sound uh across albums you know and twisting that all around and what's so interesting and inviting i think about playing robots into heaven his sixth album is that james blake is largely returning to the sound of before his debut album you know, his like early EPs and James Blake is returning to the club, which is not something I would have seen coming given the sound of his last few records and the artist he generally mixes it up with. I, I didn't didn't see that coming, you know, and this is 11 songs, 43 minutes of just kind of weird shit. You know, it's cool. It's certainly unique. It sounds cool. And I think what's nice about it is it still has like the tech, the textbook trademark james blake vocal touch which is james blake's love for pitching up and twisting around and changing his own sung vocals to match what kind of beat he's laying down and you still get that on this album i think it's to great effect because it's on these you know loopy edm beats but these are not boring like trance beats or anything like that it's pretty engaging there's a lot of mix-ups and switches and breakdowns and whatnot so i think it's definitely worth multiple listens if it grabs you because i think there's a lot going on to this you know i think track two right away got my attention loading with again those modulated james blake vocals and just an incredibly catchy synth line uh tell me again the beat really grabs you almost kind of reminded me of like darude's sandstorm in a certain sense again not something i would have seen coming from james blake the past few years uh, fallback, you know, that's one where like the switch up happens in the second half and you get like these vocals coming in, picks up even further, a big build, you know, the kind of the classic like electronic like song uh, progression. Really enjoy that one. Uh, He's been wonderful, I thought was good. Big hammer as well. The, the, all these right in a row, this, uh, these for these f- five of the first six songs. Big hammer again, like these ear catching vocals. Uh, the last song playing robots in heaven title track like it, it's interesting and you know, i think james blake i'm not sure when what to make of him going in this direction you know is blake perhaps peeling back from his solo pursuits you know his, his last album was i think it, it, the most mainstream inviting you know most uh broadly appealing and this is definitely not that um and I don't know. You know, he, he keeps you guessing, which I think is what's so cool about him. He doesn't really have a true musical peer as a result. And I love him to keep working with others just because sometimes he mixes up some, some cool stuff. You know, he's certainly in demand in that regard. But honestly, probably one of my favorite James Blake albums, the last handful, to be honest. Um, kept me engaged, surprised me. Definitely felt like I needed to re-listen to things just to catch what was going on, the production side of things, hearing the variety of the vocals. There's a lot to it, and that's what you want from James Blake. But let me know, what was your favorite aspect about playing robots into heaven? And for more music reviews, subscribe, and I'll see you next time. What's up? Welcome back to Nostalgia. Dave here with a review of Tanache's sixth album, BB Angel, BB Slash Angel, Baby Angel. Her sixth album. Tanache's first album since 333 from 2021. This would be Tanache's third album since leaving RCA Records and going independent. And I like this album. What immediately struck me about it was how short it is. This is 17 and a half minutes long. At uh, sorry, 20, almost 21 minutes long. Seven tracks. Why is she calling this an album? You know, it, it, it's such a weird inverse to me because if you remember Tanache when she had those label issues on RCA, and she's an artist who did not blossom until leaving the, the restrictions of the label system as an R&B artist. Tanache had like issues with like Night Ride, I believe, 
being characterized by the label as a mixtape and thus not fulfilling her contract requirements, right? Why then are you like putting the, the restriction on yourself when you're independent and calling something that's clearly like just an EP or barely beyond an EP and calling it an album? I don't know. It, it again, like the, the definition of an album is increasingly meaningless in in the streaming environment. People know this, but it just, it just immediately brought me back to the inverse of what happened back when she was struggling with the RCA management. Nonetheless, you know, Tanache, I've been a big fan of hers for a while, especially this these last few albums, Songs for You and Three Three Three. Tanache has continued to blossom and make the best music she's ever made as an independent artist. You know. Um, giving you that kind of avant-garde R&B music and establishing herself, I think, as a cult R&B star. You know, not as successful or mainstream as some of her peers, but certainly very successful and very, I think, widely regarded at this point. And with BB Angel, you know, again, I think this is probably the most, mm, let's say, like lo-fi, I guess, of her recent music. You know, Songs for You definitely had a bit more of the banger stuff with songs like Link Up and Hopscotch. You know, we don't really have that kind of sound on this. This is more following the trajectory of what happened with 333, where it's Tanache on kind of modest, almost minimalist beats at time and just kind of doing her R&B thing. But like, it's really good. That's just, that's what she does. You know, the lead singles Talk To Me Nice, I think is quite catchy. The second single Needs is incredibly catchy. Fun video with that. Um, yeah, like they're just, I think Tanache just as a performer, especially, you know, in the videos as a live performer with the dancing, and the choreography, like it, I think it's very inviting R&B music where it's, you know, it's a lot of the stuff you associate with her. It's like, you know, it's sex jams. It, it, it's kind of fun, uh, relationship tinged stuff, but her performance, like, I think she's really found her, her sound as a vocalist. And just kind of knows what Beachy likes at this point. And it sounds great, you know. I think what's interesting is the song on track four, uh-huh, which is about as minimalist as it gets, too, because like even the lyrics and, and the songwriting itself on the song is very understated. But there's something about that song that still grabs you. There's something still kind of catchy about it, you know. Um, I thought None of My Business towards the end as well, pretty cool. Um, and I think my, my biggest issue with the album is I just would have liked more tracks you know like needs needs is close to thing you have to a banger on this I like needs a lot I could have used a few bangers you know I only got seven tracks um you know it's been two years since the last album maybe this means there's something else on the horizon given this was a short release I don't know I'm excited to see Tanache on tour in about two months never seen her before so that'll be cool um and of course I'll get to see a lot of her older songs because again there's only so many new songs with bb angel nonetheless i think it's a successful release and tanache continues to prove that under her own creative direction sans label involvement she's making the best music she's ever made and is one of the litany of female r&b voices we have right now it's such a rich uh lush space for new music and tanache is a significant aspect of that but let me know, how did you feel about BB Angel? What was your favorite song? And for more R&B reviews, pop reviews, music reviews, subscribe. And I'll see you next time. What's up? Welcome back to Nostalgia. Dave here with a review of V's debut album, Layover. V, of course, one-seventh of BTS, the latest BTS member to drop a solo project since BTS announced its temporary hiatus leading to the mandatory military service for all Korean males. And V is following up, let's see, RM and J-Hope's albums in 2022. And then this year we got the Jimin album, the Suga album, uh, single from Jungkook's uh, Seven, which is a massive track. Of course, the Jin single at the end of last year as well. So I think a lot of people were anticipating this one, just due to the nature of it being a new BTS solo album, and V, aka Young, you know, he's someone who I think I had less anticipation for at, from for solo work, just because I think V, um, kind of like Jin, is one of the, I think, the least, like, vocally 
significant members of BTS, not necessarily shades at him, but like he's very rarely like the featured mem- the member of certain songs. He's had a solo song on a BTS album here and there, but in general, I think he's kind of understated as a vocalist, you know, no- noticeable for like the deeper register compared to some of his peers in the band. Um, you know, kind of like that baritone. It's it's not necessarily a bad voice, but like I feel like he's almost utilized more for dancing. You know, I think um, probably my, the most significant like vocal moment I can think of for V would be uh, the mic drop live performance they did during the pandemic, where the very out the outro part of mic drop V's this very passionate, like very memorable vocal performance. And in general, I think that live performance video is awesome. So much better than studio version. But yeah. V, he's, you know, I was curious what would be interested in, uh, what what would be, you know, in on this, you know, and it's being called his debut album. Spotify is calling it an EP. It's only six songs, 17 and a half minutes, really five songs with two different versions of the song Slow Dancing. Nonetheless, I started to get more interested in Layover when, you know, I realized V had actually said that he had previously trashed and gotten rid of previously recorded solo music he had made you know if it wasn't good enough he's not going to put it out he got rid of it deleted it and i think that's actually quite admirable you know we're in the age of a lot of artists packing on the track list to game streams and just throwing out lots of music and lots of projects to to stay relevant and to chase tiktok success and whatnot it's kind of refreshing uh sentiment to get from an artist especially someone who's so famous and successful and has a baked in fan base the way uh, v is a member of bts does just to kind of hammer that point home v was the fastest person ever to get 60 million instagram followers the guy is incredibly famous uh, as one of the members of bts and also i think probably the most exciting thing about the lead up to layover was it was announced that v was going to be working with minhee jin who runs ador you know one of the sub labels over at hybe of course the parent label of bts and Minhee Jin, of course, is the creative force behind New Jeans. And if you know anything about me, or if you've been not living under a rock, you know that New Jeans is the face of K-pop right now. The most significant, probably in terms of popularity, but also in terms of critical adoration and, and excitement in terms of group and K-pop. Just having a monster 2023 following up their you know, amazing debut in the middle of 2022. So the fact that V is working with someone who has, is quite hot as a creative force in producing K-pop music and Minhee Jin is exciting as well. And long story short, getting into the actual music of Layover, I was, I think, most impressed or at least appreciative of V's intention to do like a true concept album, a true uh, dedication to like following like a real like genre inspiration and following that through. And not, not not doing the throwing paint at the wall and trying a bunch of different things. No, V knew what he wanted to do, and it's not what you necessarily expect because it's not the most commercial leaning stuff. It actually feels like this is music he really likes and wanted to make, and I find that quite admirable. And that would be like this kind of almost jazz inspired, like lounge singer style R and B music, and it's understated, but also kind of fitting his baritone voice. And I don't necessarily find it like the most exciting music. It's just not designed to be that. So it's not necessarily music I want to revisit just for the nature of what it is. But I was impressed with V actually kind of delving into like a real vision for the music. You know, uh, that smoky lounge singer vibe actually kind of suits him quite well. I, I was a bit impressed with that decision. You know, um, I think the single Rainy Days really stands out for that and for this concept just you know the piano keys it's a minimal beat but the way those pianos if the piano keys hit that beat it almost sounds it makes you think of and feel like rain and v's vocals kind of you know lay it down there for you it's pretty cool um you know i thought slow dancing was not quite as good as the other single and then for us probably the most interesting song on the record is because uh young's vocals are quite pitched up on that one, I think the interesting effect. Um, yeah, I mean, again, it's only really five songs. So it doesn't give you too much time to sit with it here. But it does, I think, leave you wanting more for what, like, a fully-fledged project 
from V could be because even if he's not necessarily the most exciting of the BTS members when it comes to being a soloist, having this this vision for a project and as he's demonstrated a high bar for his own music and his own output does like leave you thinking like what else could be on the horizon for him. Now I'm not sure if that that's coming, you know, before he goes into uh, do his military service, you know, we'll see. Um, along those lines, I'm certainly hoping Jungkook is giving us a full album, not just one smash hit single before he does his military service. We'll see. He's the youngest member of BTS, so he's got more time technically. But yeah, V, layover. Um, I think in general, these BTS solo albums have been interesting and unique in their own regard, right? The J-Hope album was a huge breath of fresh air, big surprise. The RM album had a lot to it that I loved. Um, the Jimin album surprised me with certain songs. You know, Suga, of course, has a lot going on under the hood with him. And then V really surprised me with the vision for Layover. So I think now we're it's time to anticipate the Jungkook solo album, and I think that'll just be super pop-leaning and bangery because that's what he should do because he's massive artist as a soloist and I'm excited about that. But we'll get to that hopefully soon. Let me know how you feel about BTS's V. How would you stack this up against the other BTS solo albums that we've got? And for more K-pop reviews, subscribe and I'll see you next time. What's up? Welcome back to Nostalgia. Dave here with a review of Olivia Rodrigo's second album, Guts. Let's go. We're back. Olivia's back. Been two years, two and a half years since Olivia's out of nowhere smash debut album sour came out in may 2021 the last time an artist got catapulted into a-list pop stardom to be honest you know olivia off the strength of that album won three grammy awards including best new artist was the best-selling singles artist of 2021 and just before our very eyes like out of nowhere you have this fully fledged a-lister you know we've had tiktok hits We've had TikTok stars. Olivia immediately was so much more beyond that, even though, of course, TikTok did help accelerate the success of Driver's License and other Olivia songs. Now, there's a lot of anticipation, a lot of interest in what that second Olivia album would be. Post those three Grammys, post her first tour, post concluding her run on High School Musical, the musical Disney Plus series. What would happen? Well, for one, it turns out Olivia stuck to what she knew, which I think was an amazing decision. She kept it in-house creatively, working with Dan Nigro once again as her chief uh, songwriting partner, producing partner, just like on Sour. Smart idea. If it, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's more than that, though, because I think Guts is better than Sour. Uh, this is a very exciting album. I think it's one of the best albums of the year. Definitely one of my favorite albums of the year. I, man, I, I got to listen to this while on vacation in Japan. So like when it dropped, it wasn't actually midnight Eastern time. It was like one o'clock in the afternoon for me. So I was just strolling around. Uh, gosh, I believe I was in Tokyo at the time. And just listening to this song, uh, li listening to this album a few times and be like, man, it's so fun to, I was having a great time. And yeah, I think, I think Guts is oh so exciting, you know? And I think what's another interesting album about, I think about Guts is sonically Olivia has leaned further into like the punk rock dalliance vibe that she has done. We think back on Sour, of course, the first song, Brutal, which I love. It was actually one of my top 10 songs of 2021. That, that, that song gets your attention when the guitar kicks in, right? Of course, good for you. The Smash song that it, that it is clearly invokes Paramore's Misery Business. Olivia was dabbling in this rock-adjace singer-songwriter pop music. I think that's a key aspect of her brand, right? Because she's a strong songwriter who can give you a ballad emotional ballad a well-written and intriguing engaging ballad because she's a very strong writer and she mixes that with her bigger songs that lean more into this rockish vibe and that's basically what we get on guts once again 
except I think it's actually more rock leaning this time. And to me, that's a great idea. It was a great choice because it just actually gives you more bangers. I think there's more bangers on guts, despite the fact that there's still a ton of, of ballads on guts. There's a ton of, I think, really meaningful songwriting and uh, ear grabbing lines and messages on guts. But yet, it's also still a bigger record. And that's despite the fact that it's, you know, relatively brief. It's a normal length for an album. It's 12 songs, 39 minutes. I saw, I mean, I remember in the lead up to this album, people thought that was somehow short and a sign of Olivia full of the TikTok, which I think is completely off base. 40 minutes for an album is completely normal. Look back on, I don't know, Sgt. Pepper's from the Beatles or when Bruno Mars won a Grammy for 24 Karat Magic. 40-ish minutes is a normal-ass album length. Anyone who has anything else to say about that is just wrong and is reaching. Stupid, stupid opinion. There's plenty to listen to on Guts. I think there's very few bad songs. If anything, the songs I like the least on Guts are just some of the ballad stuff, you know, just because they're naturally slower tracks, not necessarily the most uh, engaging thing to me, uh, or I guess less engaging than some of the bigger songs. But man, the stuff that hits on Guts really hits, and that's what just makes it so exciting, you know. And one other thing about the lead to this this album, you know, obviously Olivia kind of got raked over the coals by Taylor Swift. We can say it, you know. Olivia had to give Taylor multiple songwriting credits off Sour, and now she's in the place where she has to deny that she has any beef with Taylor Swift, even though really Taylor Swift is not is the one who hasn't really embraced her all that much. And I think you can see why Olivia is kind of the first person to really come up who's even somewhat on the Taylor corner in terms of being a singer-songwriter, female vocalist. Obviously, she's, what, 13, 14 years younger, so they're not really playing in the same ballpark per se. But it's been kind of eye-opening to me how she was treated by the Taylor Swift camp. And I think leaning into the punk sound to her bigger songs is a not-so-over-differentiator uh, for her music in terms of setting it even for a little bit further apart from the Taylor comparisons. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it seems kind of obvious that they have Cold War beef, even if neither one of them is going to talk about it. doesn't matter. Uh, the album's great. And, of course, Taylor's having an amazing year. Nonetheless, let's think about the lead single for Guts, Vampire. Of course, Olivia Rodrigo lead singles, there's a lot to live up to because Driver's License was, of course, the last one of those. And Vampire, I gotta say, fucking nailed it, man. This is kind of a classic Olivia vibe um, in terms of the message of a song like Driver's License. It's like deeply personal. And in general, I think the sentiment on Guts is exactly what we, we hoped it would be, where Olivia, two years later, she's done some more living. She's had, got some more life experience. Again, she's a very young person. And she has some things to say about herself and people she's encountered, right? And it, it comes across as so genuine and so real. Uh, and I think a song like Vampire, man, like, I don't, I don't know who to, if, it's, if it was her or Dan Nigro, a combination of the two of them. We'll give the credit to Olivia. But Vampire, this very engaging messaging like Driver's License. And once again, Olivia is absolutely dragging the fuck out of whoever she's singing about. Like, uh, to me, the, the sticky lines in Vampire are like iconic lines. Like, these would probably would be Hall of Fame, like Olivia Rodrigo lyrics when it's all said and done. Bloodsucker, fame fucker, bleeding me dry, like a goddamn vampire. Incredible. That's just incredible songwriting. And in general, Olivia has very quickly become one of, if not the best, person in pop music at cursing and saying the F word specifically. I love that just bite that she gives you with profanity, because when she uses it, it's so great. Uh, later on in Vampire, she has the line, uh, girls your age uh, know better. Again, damning. We assume this is about Zach Bia, her ex-boyfriend. Uh, bells for that guy. Take the L. Uh, it's over. <laughs> but yeah, Vampire. Make an excellent song through and through. Tra uh, the second single would be Bad Idea Right, which 
definitely a different vibe, right? This is a very, very chanty, energetic, up-tempo track. And, you know, I think the song's okay. I hear, like, in the context of it being the second single, I was like, oh, this is the good-for-you facsimile. And it's similar, but definitely not quite on the same wavelength as Good For You. It's hard to actually compare them, but in terms of the context of how it came out as a single, that's why I thought that way. And I find the song, it is less successful than Vampire, less successful than Good For You, for sure. It's okay. I was a bit worried that if that would be like the extent of the punkish nature on songs like Guts, I'd be like, oh, this might not be enough for me this time around. But I was quite thankful that when I actually heard the album and heard the non-singles, that there was more bite on some other tracks. So I'm not really going to be going back to Bad Idea, right, all that much, but it, it's okay. Um, so yeah, let's get into the actual me of the album here. Track one, All-American Bitch. Goddamn. Here's the brutal vibes. Uh, you have this acoustic, like, soft singing building up, and then the tempo immediately speeds up, the drum kicks in, and the Avril Lavigne comparisons are back. It's amazing. You know, I mean, I love Olivia's screech at the end, um, but just, I think the the juxtaposition of the hook in the chorus with the up-tempo drums and the guitar, like, really jamming, and then you have the verses where it slows down a little bit, and, you know, I think Olivia just kind of rides that instrumentation rides that production some really fun verses the energy on this song is awesome really great uh just one of my favorite olivia rodrigo songs straight up i have to say um and also like olivia getting into towards the end of this song getting into the i think growing uh self-awareness that she is demonstrating uh despite being a very young woman still with um you know her perspective or her, her place as a public-facing woman in the world, uh, I thought I thought these lines were quite um, self-aware. You know, I'm grateful all the time. I'm sexy and I'm kind. I'm pretty when I cry. Again, damning uh, writing about how women in the public eye are treated and women in general, you know. Uh, so that's all American bitch, banger. Bad idea, right? Track two, vampire, track three. Lacey, track four, it's fine. A skip for me overall track four or sorry track five ballad of a homeschooled girl this one is another punk song you know it's up tempo i think the, oh, the, the social suicide hook very sticky the second verse kind of giving you a deadpan delivery in a certain sense from olivia vocally like this song a lot making the bed very strong ballad i think the lyrical sentiment of what it means and it's like almost like a double meaning in terms of gender roles but also her personal like use of making the bed as a way to like turn the page i think that's uh quite well written uh logical another ballad some biting lines on that one and then you have what is this track eight get him back here's my favorite song on the album this this song was fire this is a revenge fantasy song from Olivia. Just got the music video out. Very fun delivery. Absolutely fire chorus. Again, the punk leaning. It's all over this song. So good. Amazing lines. Amazing writing on this. You know, and and you know, the concept of it of Olivia, kind of flaming this toxic dude, but then also in a sense flaming herself for her own flaws and her desires to get this guy back. You know, despite him treating her badly, and yet, you know, what's uh, the line? But I am my father's daughter, so maybe I can fix him. Like, she's in on the joke. She understands that this isn't good, but this is how she is right now. And like, I think it just makes for a really fun, really great song, very re-listenable. Um, early on, you have like the short king line, Seti six two, and I'm like, dude, nice try, amazing stuff. Um, Love that. Uh, towards the end with the bridge, like, I want to meet his mom and tell her her son sucks. Love that. You know that will be screamed high heaven when the song is performed live. The the Livies, the Rodrigo's will be belting that one out, we know. Yeah, shout out, get him back. That, that That's the one for me. That's the joint. 
uh, Love is Embarrassing, that song. I like the vocal ticks on that, the guitar, the drums, a really nice one again. Um, the Grudge is, is kind of a skip for me. Pretty Isn't Pretty is okay. Um, I guess lyrically it's fine, but I didn't really find the song too interesting. And then the last song, Teenage Dream, the closer. <sighs> a hint of Billie Eilish in her vocal delivery, I have to say. Uh, I like this one. I think lyrically it's a really nice fitting uh, message. Also, the song, of course, would invoke Katy Perry, and it's kind of very different in terms of what the lyrics mean on this song. Nice juxtaposition, nice reference, I have to say. But yeah, I mean, Olivia Rodrigo, there, there's really no one to compare her to right now. She just has the runway. You know, like obviously her musical peers in terms of age would be someone like Billie Eilish, obviously, but Billie and Olivia are operating in very different circles, and I'm sure they're happy to keep it that way. You know, the comparison in terms of the singer-songwriter stuff, again, would be Taylor. But again, she's so much younger. And all the other big pop stars of our time, who are, again, a fair amount older than Olivia, but they're making more, like, vocal-driven, like, big pop, you know, artists like Ariana or Dua, you know? So Olivia is an exciting artist in that regard because she is kind of doing a thing no one else is really doing right now. To be reductive, combining Taylor Swift and Avril Lavigne, it's exciting because the results are there. It's good, you know. Uh, I'd be curious to see what size of a tour she does next time around. She kind of like almost notoriously toured smaller rooms, smaller venues on that first tour in 2021. And of course, the resale price went crazy when that tour came out. I'm sure that'll be the case again this year. But I'm curious if she's going to go a slight step up or just go right to arenas. Because she she is definitely an arena artist at this point. This album's going to sell three hundred thousand uh, first week, including significant number of real real tangible sales. So she she is that big at this point. It'd be interesting if the same reasoning with her wine to take it step by step would lead to her maybe doing just kind of bigger rooms, you know, like and and not the full arena yet. Yeah, you can't imagine she would leave all that money on the table. Given that Gene she signed the Geffen Records, they'll have some input on that. We'll see, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I this will be a fixture at the Grammys. So actually, the Grammy cutoff for 2024 is September 15th. So this is probably the last significant album to come out in the lead up to the 2024 Grammys, which means Olivia will go head to head with Taylor Swift's "Midnights" at the Grammys. Olivia will have recency bias on her side in the voting. I would vote for Guts over Midnight's myself, given the year Taylor Swift has had with Eras Tour. Hard to pick against her. But that'll be an interesting subplot we will get to uh, in due time. If you're into the Grammys, make sure you subscribe. YouTube.com slash Nostalgia Pile. I'm doing all my predictions for the nominations and the winners when the time is right. But of course, let me know, how are you feeling about Olivia Rodrigo's second album, Guts? Did you love it as much as I did? Do you like it more than Sour, like I do? What is your favorite song? And for more pop reviews, more music reviews, subscribe, and I'll see you next time. What's up? Welcome back to Nostalgia. Dave here with a review of No More Bets, the latest Chinese blockbuster film to get a small release here in the United States. Of course, No More Bets is a crime thriller film from Shen Oh, and this film kind of came out of nowhere to gross over $500 million, almost exclusively in China, about a month ago in early August, and... I was quite invested and interested in this and happy to see get a quick release here in the States. I've reviewed a handful of blockbusters, honestly, most of the significant blockbusters of the year from China, you know, Full River Red and Wanting Earth 2, Born to Fly, Hidden Blade, Lost in the Stars, and now No More Bets. And it's been interesting and fun to kind of analyze and see what the most popular movies are out of the now biggest movie market in the world. And... It, it's 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 definitely been interesting and i i generally i like no more bets i thought this was quite fun you know it's a crime thriller film i think the thriller aspects of no more bets are some of the strongest things about it and the premise itself also is quite engaging this is a story about you know set in modern times about you know a few characters who are lured from china lured overseas to unnamed you know, southeast asian country to basically 
par, uh, forced to participate in a fraud factory, you know, broad, systematic scam operation to take advantage of other people back in China and steal their money effectively, um, primarily through the use of uh, fixed online casino games, but also involving other things like cryptocurrency and betting and whatnot and, uh, you know, uh, the stock market and things of that nature. Um, and we kind of have two central characters that are uh, deceived into uh, being in the scheme, you know, lured to this, what they think is a lucrative new job opportunity, but is in fact uh, almost slave-like imprisonment to participate in this scheme. You have uh, Peng Seng, played by Lei Zhang. He is like a young, talented computer programmer. And the other character is uh, Liang An, Anna, played by uh, Gina Jin, who is this model. And they both quickly get wrapped up in this uh, unfortunate circumstance for themselves. And the movie has a bit of a nonlinear structure where we uh, see these characters' backstories and how they got to where they are uh, in terms of being in the scheme. And I think that is broadly effective. And again, the thriller aspects of them being in the scheme, seeing the scheme in operation, the scam in operation, and seeing these characters try and find their way to find a way to escape without being caught because that could mean severe pain, dismemberment, or even death, right? And that's all good. I think what's my least favorite aspect about No More Bets would be the third kind of central character we spend time with, and that would be uh, uh, Gu Zhanzi, uh, played by Darren Wong, who is a gambling addict who gets taken advantage of by this scheme and spirals and spirals and spirals out, taking uh, all of his family members' money and just ruining his life, despite actually being a talented, uh, recent college graduate and smart person. And unfortunately, like we also spend time with this character's backstory. We spend a lot of time with the storyline in general. And watching him be a gambling addict and very be self-destructive in that regard. Like he's just not a fun personality to be with in terms of how he treats the people close to him that are trying to help him. Like it's, it's a tough watch and it's a uh, tough ending for that character as well. And unfortunately, like there's other aspects to his character that just kind of keep like following through with the story of no more bets. You know, we encounter, um, uh, Song Yu played by Zhou Yi, who's uh, his girlfriend and she becomes a big advocate for uh, taking down, you know, uh, online scam operations and things of that, na- that nature. That's kind of our introduction into uh, Zhao Donggren, who is the cop character who's going to like bust this whole operation, even though it's overseas and outside of Chinese police jurisdiction. And it's just kind of frustrating because like that, all that stuff that mel- is it's quite melodramatic with the family elements. All that stuff distracts from the core thriller element with our other two characters lead characters that is the most interesting thing about it and i think you actually just kind of the, the film got made a little bit too complicated it's kind of added a few too many characters in it and i think if we spent more time with the core scam it would have been i think a bit more effective just because the thriller nature of this movie like kind of grinds to a quick halt and there's a very overt scene where you have the police officers all in meeting, and it's like, again, a, a grand message about how the party will stomp out corruption and take these scam companies down. And it's one of those kind of obligatory things we get in these Chinese movies where there has to be some kind of like moralistic messaging that makes the party look good and makes the country look good, and things of that nature. And it's not not that there's anything wrong with that message. Taking down online scams, good cause. But it's just so heavy-handed in the movie, and also quite unnecessary. Like, we don't need the movie to beat us over the head with the fact that we don't like the people behind the scam. We already got that, especially when this movie does a huge... spends so much time uh, showing you a gambling addict spiral and how it affects all the people close to him. We didn't also need like the, the government will make sure this doesn't happen to you part. Like it's just, 
it, it's this is probably one of the most like more annoying aspects of this. Sometimes you get like those brief scenes in, in a Chinese blockbuster, and it's like you you could roll your eyes at it, but it doesn't really get in the way. That one again it doesn't get in the way, but I was like, man, this is just so unnecessary as a messaging device. And then the movie kind of concludes with again like messaging about like the perils of gambling, as if this movie needs to like hold the audience's hand after everything we had just seen. Like, I just, I don't think it treats the audience with enough respect and, like, really hammers it home that that's what this movie is about. It's a bit frustrating. Um, but, yeah, I think the thriller aspects of it are fun. And in general, it's quite well-made and um, enjoyable. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, I, you understand why this was a big blockbuster because it, it is a pretty riveting movie when you spend times in the riveting parts of it. And I think this movie could have really shined if it um kind of focused in on that you know um i saw one publication refer to it as like a chinese wolf of wall street it's not really like that because it's not at any point like talking about or presenting the fun aspects of being a crook in this case being a online scammer taking advantage of people he doesn't have that point of view at all because the whole time you're with people that are participating in the scam against their will to survive so like it's not really applicable to full of wall street at all in my opinion um but yeah no more bets pretty engaging you know again this will have a very limited release in the states and then eventually be available on streaming and vod so hard to see for most people but i think if you're interested in seeing other types of uh filmmaking and what ha- what what you're getting and what's also being widely consumed uh across the world it is fun to check in on these you know the top tier of the chinese blockbusters i always find them um, I think pretty pretty well made, and the big ones are also pretty engaging. So check my reviews out on some of the other Chinese blockbuster films that have come out this year. I'd say probably my favorite of them thus far would be Full River Red, followed by Born to Fly, and then probably No More Bets, number three. But uh, you let me know how'd you feel about No More Bets, and for more movie reviews, subscribe, and I'll see you next time. All right, that's going to do it for the pod this week. Next week... Excited to talk about the GameStop uh, meme stock movie, Dumb Money, which looks great. Can't wait to get into that. It's kind of got an early release coming out. Going to catch that. Uh, Nas and Hitboy are releasing their final album together, uh, culminating you know this uh, amazing run they've been on the past three years. Very exciting. The latest uh, Kenneth Branagh, uh, Agatha Christie mystery film, A Haunting in Venice, is out. Going to talk about that. New music from Polo G and Vic Mensa as well. And uh, HBO's Winning Time, Season 2, wrapping up. So I think a lot of good stuff to get to there. We're really getting into the swing of things with movies, too, as the fall uh, kicks up. A lot of exciting things on the horizon. So make sure you subscribe. YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. Linktree.com slash NostalgiaPod. Get the pod any way you can. Just make sure you get it. And, of course, see the link below for the Best of 2023 Spotify playlist for my favorite songs of the year. And I'll see you next week.